The Outline World Dispatch. Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a story on the theme of power, culture, and the future, handpicked from theoutline.com. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today we're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race in a That is the official song, and I am the official singer of that song now. All right, let's get right into it. Culture. So ahead of the 10th season of Drag Race, I've been thinking a lot about where the show sits in my personal life and how much I like it, how much I still enjoy about it. And so I asked a photographer to go to a few bars in New York and Austin to document what it's like to view the show. And I was also thinking about someone else who might be good to talk about Drag Race, an eminent Drag Race scholar, an incredible writer on the show and other cultural topics, Alex Jung of Vulture, who is here in our new studio in this kind of unfinished space that is a little echoey but like james put together this very exciting semi booth for us <laughs> which looks incredible but uh alex thanks for coming thank you for having me i'm so excited alex you're the first person who has come to our office who doesn't work here i know i feel so privileged what was it like when you walked in what did you think i did not know where the building was <laughs> It's like this unmarked door yes. in Chinatown. Right. Well, first of all, I wanted to make sure that the murder happened quietly in a place where like no one else would notice it. So, <laughs> Well, you've for... taken me to a derelict building in right. the middle of Chinatown. Right. Yeah. So we just moved to this new building like a few days ago. It's my first time, my first day in the office, actually. Oh. Yeah. So I just, I just walked in. It's nice. It's like nice white floors and... It's got a cute kind of like startup-y vibe to it. Sure. You know? Are you going to do anything to christen the, the building? Um, I don't know. Probably cry in the bathroom at some point. <laughs> like, that's what I do when I... <laughs> When I feel like I, I don't know, like I want to make a space feel like home. I just need to have a good cry. Somewhere. Your bathroom needs a mirror because I was trying Everyone to like check myself this. in the mirror to see how I looked, and I couldn't. Yeah. Also, if you're gonna cry in the mirror, you really need to like look at yourself, cry a right, little bit. Right. But this is the joy of audio is that no one is seeing us. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, anyway, for real though, I I, I brought you here today because I for one obviously love your writing about drag race oh thank you and have like been a fan of yours for a while as you already know oh. and well i've been a fan of yours happy to yeah happy to call you you know friend colleague everything like that um but yeah i wanted to talk to you specifically about drag race because today uh is the beginning of season 10 sure yeah and we are going into a pretty important time i think for the show as it kind of steps into this milestone of you know, really becoming a staple outside of just queer culture right. of reality television. Right. So my first question for you, I guess, is what are you most looking forward to with this season coming up? Some new fucking queens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, some fresh fucking blood. Yeah. And I think the best thing about Drag Race is when you actually get to meet new people, see what they can do, see what their perspective is like. Uh, what their drag point of view is and and like have them go through the ringer of what the show is, uh, whether it's a design challenge or an acting challenge or a comedy challenge. I think it's just fun to get to know new people and watch them do what they're really good at and what they've been busting their asses in bars across America for years um, and getting to see them do that on a, on a huge platform that they've that they've never gotten a chance to do before. So speaking of bars, sure. 
I have recently been going through a little bit of an existential crisis uh-huh. with watching the show because the last time that I actually watched it live was a few weeks ago, and I was watching it just with some friends, like live At with a people. Yeah, okay. um, and I, I went with some friends, and uh, I kind of just hid in the corner and was like lurking and looking around and trying to get a sense of what people were feeling, what they were seeing. And I can't get over this overwhelming sensation that I don't know anymore if everyone is watching the same show. Like, (laughs) it's been around for so long that, you know, at this point with everything happening around, you know, the controversies with the show and just criticisms of where it's headed, I honestly wonder, like, what is the message of RuPaul's Drag Race in 2018? Do you have a sense of what that is and what you think it should be? That's what happens when you go franchise, right? When, when you're spinning off like an entirely new, like, I think it's very clear to me that VH1 is trying to turn all stars into its own franchise, its own show, which to me is a terrible idea, right? Because that is to me, just another iteration of the show that we're watching. It's not a separate parallel track that we should be building out. And I think, because all of us are watching every season regardless, right? Right, right? And so I think that's part of the problem that you're happening is that you're just trying to squeeze as much money, as much opportunity, as much capital as possible out of this queer content as you can while it's good. And so I'm getting stressed out that the milk is going to run dry soon because there's only so much talent. There's only so much that the, the talent pool needs time to accumulate. And I think what you're seeing is that it's starting to dry up, especially with Ulcers 3. I think that's exactly what happened. And I think the thing to always keep in mind, for me at least, was that Drag Race is always and was was always and is always a commercial enterprise. It's a show on VH1 by Viacom. It was about mainstreaming. I think it was always about mainstreaming a culture to some degree. And that we're now struggling with the success of that is something that we're just going to have to reckon with. What are some of the things that we're seeing now that you think are coming to fruition or finally becoming more fully realized? Well, if we're going to really go there, I think that, you know, the show has always had a very broad approach to comedy. Um, And I mean that in, I think what the show finds funny or acceptably funny is not going to square away as more time goes on. But I I don't know if you remember, like, I don't know if you know your Drag Race history. Oh, bring it. (laughs) But in season three, uh, Manila Luzon, uh, half Filipina queen, great, great fashion. Incredible. Did a one, a challenge once for doing a Japanese announcer voice. Like she played a Japanese newscaster and she did what Shangela at the time considered an offensive accent. And she won the challenge because they thought it was funny, right? And I think that that has always kind of been at the heart of Drag Race is this like very broad racial comedy of people kind of doing a certain kind of like yellow face or black face. And I think your critique can be complicated around that because I think certain things start to edge into a very kind of flat minstrelry sometimes. But those are things that have just existed from the beginning, but we're just going on a bigger and bigger platform now. And I think these problems are only going to get more and more controversial, honestly, at this point, as certain political awareness uh, becomes more a part of the mainstream discourse and as Drag Race also becomes part of mainstream, too. 
one of the challenges that I face, at least when it comes to critiquing drag race or even looking at it as a piece of art that is worth critiquing is that at the end of the day, it is meant for entertainment. And I think a lot of people try to use that as like a, uh, this veil, I guess, that protects it. Like, mm. oh, it's not that serious. Oh, mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be taken too seriously. Right. And I think it's it's a little bit dangerous, I guess, sometimes to look at it as purely entertainment just because of the place that it holds. I agree. Also culture. because RuPaul is staking out a political claim, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think... I think you you say that when you want to deflect criticism. It's like when John Stewart used to say, "Oh, the Daily Show isn't political. It's after puppets making prank calls, right?" Yeah. But at a certain point, I think he realized that he couldn't keep saying that argument because it it didn't hold water, and no one really believed him. It was political. He was making a political impact, um, and I think at a certain point uh, with Drag Race Two, you're not going to be able to use that argument. RuPaul is making a political claim when he's saying that gender is something to be played with, that it's not fixed. You know, the whole ethos of the show is that, like, no one's anything because it's all a fucking joke, right? And that's what RuPaul kind of pushes as, as you know, his personal message is that, right. you know, we're all born, born naked and the rest is drag. It's kind of this punch, not a punchline, but a tagline. Unless you're a trans called. woman. Right, right. <laughs> so getting into that, actually, it's a really great segue. You wrote a really great piece that sort of chronicled why RuPaul's recent comments about trans people really didn't hit the mark and uh, sort of underscored this tension that has followed the show for a long time about RuPaul's politics specifically around trans people. Can you kind of give a broad overview of what happened there and what led you to write that piece and, and put it out there. One of the questions around RuPaul has been, can trans women specifically compete on the show? Just to state facts, trans women have competed on the show. There's been Jiggly Caliente, there's been Carmen Carrera, Sonique in season two. Um, they were in some ways pre-transition or pre-physical transitioning. And so that to, to RuPaul is the important distinction that they haven't begun physical transitions and therefore they could compete on the show because he saw them as men uh, still dressing up as women. I mean, RuPaul has always kind of had a weird relationship with trans identity and politics. I remember I interviewed him a couple of years ago and I uh, pushed him on this and he was very reluctant to really talk about it or get into it because I think he thinks that trans people are clinging to gender actually in a, in a certain way, whereas gay men like him are transcending it. The irony there is that you're still assuming that men are men, right? right, right. Uh, and that men are the only ones that would be able to transcend gender in some ways, whereas trans women would not be able to transcend gender. What's your personal relationship to Drag Race beyond just writing about it <laughs> and being someone who is, you know, I would consider a scholar in it. <laughs> like when you're just at Get home, me a PhD. <laughs> when you're just at home, just watching the show with friends or by yourself or at bars, how do you feel when you watch the show? I still love the show. Like I think it is the best damn reality TV competition there is. Because I, I love reality TV competition specifically. I'm not really big on reality TV in the kind of schadenfreude sense of like, uh, Real Housewives or Dance Moms or things like that. I like shows like Top Chef, um, early seasons of America's Next Top Model. Like competition-based I like people shows. being good at what they do. Yeah. There's something that I just fucking love about that. And Drag Race, to me, is one of the best showcases of 
what people can do of their art, of their talent, of their comedy. Like that's fucking hard. Like to dress up like that with an idea, with a concept and then tell jokes and make people laugh. That's that's fucking crazy. Like I would not be able to do that. Like physically would not be capable. And so there's, there's really joy to me in like watching the show. And I've watched it since the beginning. I I feel myself, I feel that I'm a true OG viewer. You are, yeah. And I remember, you know, like the most poignant moments that sort of came out of the show because also we are talking about trans women, gay men, many of them of color who have like really struggled, right? Like they've like really been through some hard times, both in their family and in the world at large. And drag has generally and almost always been a way for them to see themselves more clearly to give themselves more confidence, more courage to be the person that they never imagined that they could be in the world. And there's something really beautiful about that, that if the show lets that happen, it's amazing. Yeah, It's like, I get emotional thinking about it now when I just think about Angina crying about and coming out as HIV positive in season one, or, you know, even the fights that they have are, they, they come from these like very deep, sort of like childhood traumas, I think, that I identify with, you know? And and they turn that into magic. What fucking, there's no better show than that. You know, when the show is good, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> so, and that's all I want. And I guess like, that's why I was like, you know, like I wrote a critique of All Stars season three that was harsher than I've ever been on the show. But I felt like I needed to give them a little Michelle Visage moment where I was like, someone needs to step in and like keep you from ruining this really fucking amazing thing that you have that I sometimes don't think you realize that you have. And that's sort of what I'm getting worried about, even with the move to VH1 is, you know, do these people really know what this show is? Do they really understand what the identity of the show is and what makes it so good? It's always felt like this push and pull for me between deciding whether the show is going to be about quote-unquote drama and just like the thing i think people always point to you know untucked which is for folks who don't know the uh supplementary behind the scenes show when the queens are waiting for their judgments and in previous seasons it's when it you know used to get pretty catty and there'd be a lot of arguments and i feel like there was a lot of discussion about whether that really was the show like that seemed to be like the most entertaining to people Uh um whereas i agree with you like the artistry is really the part of it that i care about the most like i love to watch a good fight love to watch people throw down but ultimately what i'm watching drag race for is people just being great at the thing that they love to do right give me the content Right. I want the content. Yeah. Like, yeah. also, the drama will happen. Mm-hmm. They're fucking drag queens. They're drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> like, go back to Party City where you belong was a great moment, but you just need to, like, <laughs> let it happen because it will happen. Right. But, you know, like, I don't know. Like, when Gimchi like, came out in, uh, like, an homage to her mom's hanbok, and she wore, like, a hanbok. Like, that is such a specifically Korean thing. It's gorgeous. And it, like, made me cry, because I was like, I've never seen that before. And that's also, like, his way of, like, both honoring his mom and also maybe trying to figure out a way to talk to her, you know? Yeah. Like, what show does that? It's beautiful. Speaking of of kimchi and and just race in general on the show, mm. uh, one piece of criticism that I think has kind of gotten to a head with 
All Stars 3 is that even when occasionally queens of color end up winning the show, um, the show really struggles with race as a concept, like throughout yes. the actual competition. Yeah. Um, moving into season 10, I think, what are some moments that you point to as, I guess, learning points for the show when it thinks about how it frames the characters on it? Because ultimately, like, it is a produced reality show. Right. So for you, what does that look like? I would like the show to stop leaning in so hard into this kind of, like, broad comedy. Maybe don't make things so one-dimensional in terms of what a person can be. Like, I'm already, like, a little bit nervous about season 10 insofar as, like, uh, the Asian queen, um, Yuhua Hamasaki. Um, Like, I've seen her in New York uh, at drag shows, and she is also someone who, like, leans into a very specific kind of stereotypical ethnic comedy. Uh, And I use that term very specifically for her. Um, That, to me, sometimes doesn't feel very knowing. I think let's move, uh, let's start to move away from cheap laughs um, around race, uh, both in terms of the production, but also in terms of what the show rewards. And maybe that requires a more visionary contestant who sort of understands racial dynamics a little bit better to, to not just perform the stereotype to get the laugh, but maybe you do it in a way that also pushes back specifically, that uh, maybe critiques the gaze. Um, I mean that, you know, this is also, this is all very theoretical, but you know, like what if you did a stereotype and then just like broke completely midway and like did something completely opposite? Like, That's interesting. You yeah. know, like, are there ways that you can start like pushing back against this idea that this is actually what people think is funny? If you're going to like clock someone for like wearing the same gray wig, <laughs> then like do the same thing for like doing like the same stupid racial joke. Right. 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 Um, so I think that for me, I'm, I'm very much in a place right now where, you know, I'm kind of clenching my teeth a little bit for season 10 and in a very like good luck and don't fuck it up mode. Uh, and, and I'm not as optimistic, I think, about the season as I would like to be. Right. And I think that is not something that is just something felt by myself. I think that's a very shared feeling for folks. So <sighs> yeah. folks are feeling that way about, about Drag Race and maybe this is you included to a degree, <laughs> what, what would you say to them going into this new season? And, you know, what would be your message to people re- like watching it and experiencing it? Well, I would have loved for us to have a little break. Like yeah. the fact that we are going without even one week. Right. And into a new season. RuPaul was like, let's get the money. Right. Let's exactly. do it. <laughs> exactly. Like let's make as much money in as little time as possible. That's what's happening right yeah. now. I have one last question for you, just out of curiosity. Sure. And maybe you've said this online publicly, but I haven't <laughs> found it. Uh, who was your favorite drag race winner? Oh, huh. Not their like afterlife or oh, whatever. No, no, no. Okay, Someone yeah, who yeah. like won the show got, you know, America's next drag superstar. I have a soft spot for Sharon Needles. Yeah. Because I thought the first time I saw Sharon Needles like come out in that like zombie apocalypse look, I was like, this is fucking amazing. That was a moment. Yeah. Um, Did some little little problematic things after. Yeah. After that's why I, I was but, asking you know? <laughs> about the, the tail end, you know, like the post drag life, right, the, uh, right. drag race life. But right. like on the show. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> What's your like? What's your favorite RuPaul song? If, uh, do you have one? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm asking you to perform. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, wait, so, I'll chime in with you if you start. It's like, 
Wait, wait, how does it go? Right now I have like, hey DJ, love the way you look at inhibition when you spend it. Where can people find you on the internet, Alex? <laughs> well, uh, I'm a staff writer at uh, New York Magazine slash Vulture. Uh, yes. And then I tweet. Um, I create content for Twitter at uh, E underscore Alex John. Alex, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, kitty girl. Today you heard from Alex Jung, who is a staff writer at New York Magazine and Vulture. To see the photos we talked about on today's podcast, head to theoutline.com. That's theoutline.com. We're produced by James T. Green. Outline Dispatch listener, you've reached the end of the podcast. Congratulations. You're a winner, baby. I'm RuPaul. (laughs) I'm RuPaul. I'm Aaron Edwards. I will talk to you uh, some other time. (laughs) Take it easy.